Hi friends, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast on our journey together through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today we're looking at a very famous passage called the Parable of the Sower, probably the most famous of all biblical parables of Jesus. And we're going to be considering it from the point of view and asking the question why some people grow in their faith and others just appear to sort of fall by the wayside or wither. So it's a profound passage uncovering how different people respond to the Word of God. So as we delve together into this chapter, we're going to discover the practical as well as the theological lessons for both ourselves as individuals, but there's also some really useful teaching if you happen to be involved in leadership, preaching, or even evangelism. So welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. You've probably seen this situation in your life. You've extended invitations for people to attend with you, come to you to maybe something at church or some other thing connected to your Christian life. And following on from that, you see various responses. I'm particularly interested in hearing how people respond where you've brought them into an environment where you've heard the gospel preached. You will see some people perhaps, maybe the minority, where they experience something akin to what we would call a conversion experience. But of course others will have showed no interest at all, and then some will have seemed to be interested, seemed to have made a commitment, and then fallen away from the faith. And I think many of us, particularly if you're involved in preaching, you also see these this wide diverse range of reaction to our preaching, to when we explain the Word of God to quick people. So the question arises in my mind, and I'm sure yours, how do you explain these differing responses, primarily differing responses to the Word of God, particularly useful for those people who are involved in sharing the gospel and sharing this good news in any way at all with other people? Well, here we have this famous passage, the parable of the sower, and I believe it provides us really valuable insights into this phenomenon. It stands out as one of the most crucial passages in the Bible, and I think that point is underlined and emphasized by the fact that it appears Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of the synoptic gospels, the ones that primarily give an account of the life of Jesus. Now, according to Jesus, understanding this parable, according to him himself, understanding this parable is a key to comprehending all the other parables that he teaches as well. So theologically, it states this opening position of addressing the challenge of people hearing the truth, hearing the word, and then either responding to it or not, and if they do respond to it, why some appear to fall away. I think it offers us absolutely critical aspects, insights into the dynamic of faith and the abandonment of faith. This parable holds not only theological significance, therefore, but also practical lessons for any of us at any level who want to share the good news of Jesus with others anyone engaged in any form of evangelism, no matter at what level. So with that in mind, we're going to begin and today at Luke chapter 8. And I hope by going through this passage verse by verse, as is our pattern, may in some respects get an insight into what many call the greatest 
of the parables. So we're going to be covering verses 1 to 21 today, but we're going to do it in sections. So let me begin today by reading for you Luke 8 verses 1 to 8. And it says this, After this, Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cursed of evil spirits and diseases, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had been cast out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering, and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and it was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seeds fell among the thorns, which grew up with it, and choked the plants, and still other seeds fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Next in the verses that follow from this, we'll see Jesus answer the questions that this raises, and we look at those verses in more details. But let me just pause at this point and make a couple of observations. I would remind you that I've done a much more extensive teaching on the parable of the sower, the different types of soil, when I approached it through the Gospel of Mark. We spent nearly a week in it. Today, it's going to be more of an overview and looking at this one main aspect of, of it. But before delving into the interpretation of it, I think we need to let set the stage just as Luke has done forward. And by doing that, we see that he's introducing the context, the context here. Jesus, we note, is accompanied by his 12 apostles and he's embarks from what I suppose we today might almost call the preaching tour, a preaching and teaching tour. Now, notably, have you noticed this, that there are women traveling with them, having been, one having been healed of evil and spirit, spirits, and one from illness. These women are actually noted as being important. Along with others, they've provided the financial support for Jesus. This is a unique insight into how Jesus was financed his ministry, and it would seem that he relied on the generosity of affluent, some affluent women. Now, as Jesus gathers a diverse multitude, as he travels across various towns and cities where he's preaching, lots of different people come out and begin to follow him. And it's evidence that this audience, this congregation, I suppose, it spans a very wide spectrum of the society. We see here, even just from the names of these women, there's a, a woman who's married to Herod's steward, signifying sort of an upper class, almost a royal connection, juxtaposed with individuals, even potentially women of the street and women like Mary who've experienced demon possession. So the diversity here seen in the earliest followers of Jesus shows, well, it's emblematic of Christianity's unique ability to unite people of various background with very different, distinct identities. This is an example of true biblical diversity. C.K. Chesterton, the famous Christian writer from last century, 
His analogy he used emphasizes the challenge and the miracle of combining these diverse personalities even within the very earliest church, particularly in those days when those divisions would have been so formed and firm. Now Jesus, within this diverse community, in this diverse setting, proceeds to teach everyone, and he does that through one of his parables, setting the stage for what will become one of the most profoundest lessons in the New Testament. Now, when it comes to the parable itself, it's fairly straightforward. It just is telling us about four kinds of soil. You know, may know the parable. I'm sure you've heard it preached on many times. It's one of the favorite uh, favorites that, and most commonly preached passages of Scripture. So I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to review it just quickly today. As I say, I've already covered it extensively in Matthew and Mark. But the parable unfolds before us as a sower is seen to go out and scatter seeds. A common practice seen at that time amongst in ancient times in the fields where seed were scattered and then later ploughed. And the seed we see encountering different types of soil. Very clearly, this is representing various responses to the message of the word. Jesus describes it as such. So some of the seed is seen to fall on hardened ground, akin to what we today call a pavement or a sidewalk. It doesn't have a chance of germinating there. It's trampled upon, it's exposed to the elements, birds are able to steal it, and of course, seed scattered in that way will fail to spring to life. That's verse five. Then in verse six, we see the rocky soil. So the seed falls on shallow soil, which is rock underneath it. Some people think it's about rocks mixed in with the soil, but most Bible experts say it talks about a thin layer of soil or sand on top of a layer of rock. So while it may spring up indicating some germination, the seed of course will lack depth. It is unable to put roots down and the shallow soil that it's planted in causes it to wither very quickly, particularly when the sun is seen to beat down. A metaphor obviously of hard and trying times then the thorny soil well the some seeds is said to, to fall among thorns it again germinates but of course very quickly it is choked by the growing thorns around it demonstrating that life initially appeared but is later extinguished and then finally it talks about the good soil in verse 8 the seed is uh, said to fall on good fertile ground it germinates and it not only springs to life but it carries on flourishing and it yields an abundant crop, showcasing, of course, uh, demonstrating a, a picture of a fruitful response to the word of God. So that's the parable. It's called the parable of the sower, but many would say it would be better named the parable of the soil. So we have four kinds of soil, one that did not germinate at all, three that did, and only one of those three that comes to fruition. Now, verse 9, as the passage continues, we see the disciples asking him and saying, what does this mean? Matthew actually indicates that they come to him privately and ask him, this teaching that you've been doing, what does it actually mean? So what that tells us is he started out by speaking this parable to the whole general crowd, the large group of people following him. But now he's alone with his disciples and they say, what in the world are you talking about? And he says this to them, verse 9 and 10. 
The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that through seeing they may not see, and through hearing they may not understand. This is a fascinating passage, isn't it? Now it's actually a quotation from Isaiah chapter 6. So it seems very clearly it's saying here that Jesus taught in parables not only to reveal the truth, but to conceal the truth. Have you ever really start, thought about that? This is really quite a startling teaching, isn't it? He taught in parables in the knowledge that some people wouldn't get it. And he taught in parables that some people would actually be motivated to scratch around, to dig around, to try and figure out exactly what he was saying. To engage in it in a more meaningful way in order to have the real truth revealed to them. That's a fascinating concept, isn't it? But I want you to notice this quick quote. He says, it says, in seeing they didn't see and in hearing Look what it says. It doesn't say in hearing they did not hear, which you would think would scan more naturally out of this. It says in hearing they did not understand, which is quite slightly different. They heard, but they did not understand. Now he explains what this is all meaning personally, this parable of the seed of the word. And he's saying that some people through receiving it in this way would understand it and others wouldn't. That was a fascinating concept to me when I first stumbled upon it. And ever since then, I have always put myself in a position where speaking to people who are in the church or on the periphery of the church and I'm wondering where they stand before the Lord, I ask people about their salvation. I ask them, I dig around and I ask them to dig around and explain to me their understanding of what it means to have been saved. And what I'm looking for in their responses, in a way that's relevant to them, something that suggests they've trusted in Jesus Christ for the gift of eternal life. The most diagnostic question, the best question I've ever asked is one told to be by a friend, a mentor of mine over 30 years ago, a chap called Dick Coates, which was this. He, the question he said to ask is if you're standing before God, uh, and God said to you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And I think that listening to the answer to that is very insightful to understand where people stood. If they say something like, I'm trusting in Christ, I mean, people can express that in many different ways. But if they're saying that their basis for entry to heaven is because what Jesus else has done, then that usually is really, is really significant. But if they say something else, and most many do, they may add some other words. Sometimes I even say, what else? To see if they say anything else. And ironically, if they say there's anything else, then I feel that people have a journey of discipleship still to go. So I think this parable is meant to direct us. It's meant to mold us in terms of thinking about evangelism and how it works. The crowd described here have just heard Jesus but Jesus is saying you know what not all of them will understand let's continue with the text in verses 11 to 14 this is the meaning of the parable so he's going to actually explain it the seed is the word of God those along the path are the ones who hear and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved 
Those in the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy, and when they hear it, they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil, for those with a noble and a good heart, who hear the word and retain it by preserving and producing crop. So here we have the four scenarios played out in these four types of soils. In the first, the devil is seen to come and snatch away the seed from those who don't understand the message. So it doesn't even germinate. It's fallen on stony ground. The emphasis is on the importance of understanding and belief as a way to leading to salvation. Once someone believes, I believe they're saved and the, the, I also believe that in the following types of soil, the analogy of the seed germinating represents salvation. So moving on to the next group, those on rocky grounds receive the word with joy and believe for a while. The potential issue here is not that germination hasn't taken place, it's the fact that they lack roots and when faced particularly with trials or persecution, representing by the heat of the noonday sun, they fall away. So the, this raises the question, I'm sure in some of your minds, you're asking quite reasonably, well, are these individuals truly saved in the first place? Now there is discussion about this and a common interpretation in evangelical churches circles suggests that those who only believe for a while and don't produce lasting fruit were never saved in the first place. However, I myself, personally challenge this interpretation because the passage clearly states that they believed and according to Jesus, belief is the thing that leads to salvation. Faith leads to salvation. Now the overall message seems to be a call for a careful interpretation of this passage and it does challenge the idea that temporary belief necessity implies someone not being saved. But the focus is on the explicit statement in this passage that they believed. And for me, it aligns with the idea that belief always results in salvation, according to the teachings of Jesus. Now, I accept that my viewpoint of this is probably not even in the majority of evangelicals. And many wiser people than me disagree with this idea that those who fall away were initially ever even saved. However, I think with this passage, and when you read passages like Hebrews 3.12, where individuals who are being referred to having fallen away, they're still referred to as brethren, and they're encouraged, exhorted not to fall away, suggesting that these individuals are indeed saved. It's just the falling away from the Christian life and the fruit that we see of it that's been talked about here. Now, I think this addresses a critical issue. It addresses, in fact, the common experience. I hear from many people, and I'm sure if you think about it, you do, of many people who testify of coming to faith in the Lord, having that experience, and then falling away. And then, of course, they, can, they come back and return to the faith again, and they describe it that way. That might be your interpretation. And I think that lines up with the fact that these people, the seed germinating in their hearts, does represent salvation. 
The passage then, of course, covers these different type of soil and we see it transition to the third type of a soil referring to those seeds where they fell among thorns. Now the individuals here, they hear the word, but these people, this group of people, yes again the seeds germinates, but it is choked out by the weeds. It actually in his interpretation it says it's choked out by the cares and the riches and the worries as well as the pleasures of life. So ultimately again no fruit is produced, no fruit to maturity as it is described here. So the overall discussion here that Jesus in his explanation of this parable centers on the potential between belief in salvation through faith and the challenge that we all see the fact that many individuals perhaps even the majority of individuals fall away after a conversion experience after even the initial profession of faith i lean very heavily towards the possibility that not all of them obviously because some turn away completely, but that some who fall away, appear to fall away, they are indeed still saved. And I think this emphasizes the importance of understanding this context. And it's meant to be a nuanced, deep, insightful exploration of the whole idea of salvation and why we sometimes don't see fruit when people have made that commitment. So what's being revealed here is the question, or what's been asked here is the question, why don't some people grow to spiritual maturity? That's what Jesus is trying to, to give us insights into here, I believe. And the analogy of whether it be seed and crop or whether it be a fruit tree and other passages, these types of analogies, I believe, are used to illustrate the point that even though a tree may not produce fruit for a while, it still remains the type of tree that it is. So I personally believe that it is possible, entirely possible, for a person to be born again, become a child of God, be saved, but be fruitless for most of their life. In fact, it ought to be fruitless for a period and return to, to the faith later. In fact, in many ways, that's my own testimony. From the age of about, I was saved at a very young age, but at the age of about 15 until my uh, very early 20s, I was not in fellowship with the Lord and I certainly was not producing fruit. Now, the reasons for this spiritual stagnation, this is where this parable is, is really helpful. It's revealed here for us, and it's more to do with what happens to that seed after it's been received. Is it choked out, like in this case, by the cares and riches and pleasures of life? Perhaps the person, the individual, if we put it into the model context, the modern context, hears the word of God, believes it, but then gets sort of various aspects of their life crowd in. Maybe their job, their family, hobbies even, or simply materialism and an endless pursuit of money or pleasure. All of these potentially hinder spiritual growth. All of this means that doesn't necessarily mean that peoples aren't saved. It's just we're not seeing the fruit of that salvation. And although they will still be saved in the sense they have, have access to heaven, they will not receive the crowns of righteousness and the rewards that could have been awaiting them there. And I would add that even people sitting in church every Sunday 
if you go look across a wide group of people, not everyone there will be there for the same reason. And not everyone there will necessarily even be growing spiritually because they're allowing other priorities to take precedence in their life. So Jesus here is actually, this parable is all about the importance of producing fruits subsequent to your salvation. Fruit which comes through endurance and the, the pu purpose of the parable is to warn all of us, those of us, and to give us insights into the fact that once we're saved, the dangers of this world and how we shouldn't allow these things like the cares or the worries to crowd out what God has done in our lives. Okay, let's move on to the next few verses. In my Bible, it's entitled A Lamp on a Stand. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed instead. They put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out in the open. Therefore consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. Okay, we'll crack on here a bit. This, these couple of verses, they encourage believers to let the light shine, their light shine in the world, saying that nothing hidden should remain disclosed. He urges careful consideration of how, when one hears the word, how it should lead to the continuing study of the word, a continuing learning, something that will lead to growth, spiritual growth to maturity and highlights the results if we neglect that those things that we will lose and then 19 to 21 closing off verses today says now jesus's mothers and brothers came to see him but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd someone told him your mother and brother are standing outside waiting to see you he replied my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of god and put them into practice now, if you want a more extensive teaching on these passages, I have done a complete message on each one of these two groups of three verses in my, when I worked together through Mark's account of these events. But anyway, what we're seeing here, uh, I'll just round up today, is this narrative concluding with Jesus. Uh, after doing his teaching, after walking and talking with disciples, he visits his mothers and his brothers. And this is an opportunity where he is able to embed the importance and highlight the significance of doing the will of God, declaring that those who hear and do the will of God are his actually his true family. That's the analogy he's drawn there, emphasizing the spiritual bond, something that's so important or should be so important among Christian believers that it even surpasses that of our relationship with our blood relatives. Okay, let me try and sum this all up. The various results of the word and when it's preached and what comes following on from that, in other words, the response of the people are explained to us here. And there, I'd like to now take those and in summarizing, speak into various groups of people about what they might mean for us today. I'd first of all think it's got a important learning point or learning opportunities for any of us who preach the word of God in any way at all. That's me, obviously, but it could be some of you listening today. So what, it's, what it tells me and what it encourages me is knowing that even though when we preach the word, some will respond and some won't. 
some will grow and some won't there may be people in our churches that will show up every sunday but will never be in a position of growing in their spiritual maturity why not because they hear the word of god yes but then they don't do anything with it they don't apply it in their life this last phrase in verse 21 says they were not obedient to the word of god now what you find is if you're a preacher you're constantly analyzed someone might say even being criticized by those who listen but i think what you should take encouragement from friend is the fact that God, that Jesus is revealing here that it is actually the hearers of the word who are the ones that are being grossly scrutinized by God himself. God is watching to, to see how the word, when faithfully preached, is responded to. Are their hearts prepared to receive that word? So I would say that if you're called to preach or teach in any, word, any way at all, the people's response to the word is not really your problem. Your job is just to faithfully present the Word of God to the best of your gifts and abilities. So the problem is not yours, friend. If the people aren't responding, your job is just to continue to faithfully study the Word of God as best you can, because the problem may not necessarily be one of your sermons. As a quick aside, I can't remember the name of the guy's name, but if I quote it again, I'll get it for you. Very famous well, no, actually, a not-so-famous preacher in America, in his life story, talked about how for 25 years he preached and never saw a single conversion. And then one day, in the 1930s, I think it was, or early in the 1940s, he preached a message in a small church, and a young man responded that day. And he pretty much never saw anybody else respond again as he faithfully preached the word for over 40 years. But the young man who received the word that day and did something with it was a young man called Billy Graham. So be encouraged, friends. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that our sermons or our attempts to teach the word of God cannot always be improved. Our sermons should be diligently studied and, and worked upon. But the real test of the word of God is not the numbers of people we see to it, but us understanding that it is the people and their response that is being weighed by tested by God, as illustrated here. You see, the different soils in this passage very clearly represent the different type of responses for those who hear the word preached. The parable of the sower, in many ways, as a title, in many ways, misleads people for not recognizing the primary thing here is it's about the soils, the different types of responses. And it's telling that those whom the word is preached to, anyone who hears the word, even reads the word, I would say, they are meant to take heed and hear it. In other words, really apply it into their hearts. And that just hearing the word is not the issue. Everything depends on how people respond to it, receive it and respond to it once they do it. And this parable here is showing us the four ways in which that happens. The hard soil, that's the, the, the sidewalk, if you like, the footpath, we call it in the UK. Then there's the shallow soil, where there's a thin layer of soil on top of a stony surface. 
Now, the, the, the hard soil is self-explanatory. It doesn't even get a chance to germinate. And that's a large group of people. You see nothing or experience nothing. But then there's this thin layer of soil on top of rock where we see that it does spring up for a while and then it doesn't, isn't able to put roots down and it just fades away. And then, of course, the crowded soil where the weeds come in and crowd out the soil and finally the, the good soil. So if I was to put it like this, some hear the word and don't even understand it. Some will hear the word and forget about what is said because they don't have any roots put down. And some hear the word and it is crowded out by the other things in life, the other interests and activities, or even, or even the troubles of this world. And then there's this final group. Let's think about them for a moment in closing. Some hear the word, understand it, and respond to it. They do what it says, friends, and because they simply hear it and do what it says, they bear fruit in their lives, as well as them personally experiencing spiritual maturity. Now, the thing to notice here is all these people, all these groups of people have heard the word. It's very important to, to understand that. Every type of soil in this passage, in a sense, receives the word, receives the seed, they hear the word, but the point is, how do they respond? The first group don't understand. The other groups, they do hear it and they receive it. So they receive enough of it to believe. But out of that last group of three, two of them don't actually endure. They don't produce fruit. And the reason given why they don't produce fruit is they don't do what it says. Now, I don't want to push this too far, but if too far, but if you use the maths to analyze this, what's the percentage here? Maybe 25% is it? So that would tell me that in life, if you're in a church situation or even just in a situation where, say, 100 people hear the word or read the word or have it explained to them or even just listen to a preacher, only about 25% probably are potentially spiritually growing as a result of this. So the issue is not about what the person hears. They all hear the same thing. Some hear it a lot, but it doesn't do any good because they don't do anything with it. Consequently, they cannot be faithful. They do not serve. They do not grow. And they don't become Christ's life and they don't produce here which is well, that thing which is referred to as fruit fruit to maturity. So in reality, friends, we shouldn't be discouraged by the fact that it may feel at times that only a relatively few people that we know who we bring into the orbit of the gospel actually understand, believe, and then follow through by obeying. So consequently, only a few produce mature fruit. Only a few are seen to endure. But our job is not to focus on that our job is just be faithful and sow the seed. Now I have one final thing to ask in closing and that's to ask you a question. And that question is, what kind of soil are you? Which type of soil represents you and your life? You can make the decision today to make the good soil part of your life. To not only take the word of God, listen to the word of God, but allow it to germinate within you and allow it to bring forth fruit in your life, which will be the form of spiritual maturity and blessings for you and for others, both in this life and the life to come.
That's it for today. Thank you for joining me. Okay, friends, I do hope you found that a helpful passage. It's one of the big ones, isn't it? As I said, if you'd like to go into it in much more detail, then you can do that by going back and having a look at when I worked through it in either Matthew or Mark. I think the Matthew section was the most expensive, extensive. I spent about a week on it. Extensive. It wasn't expensive. It was free. So thanks again for joining me. If you're here for the first time, why not make the decision to have plant your life in the good soil and make the decision to study the Bible every day. And you can do that by joining me every day in the Bible Project Daily Podcast. You can subscribe to this wherever you get your podcasts from. Can I remind you that if you are a newbie, there is an episode notes page available where I give a quick overview of what each episode is about, but also freely available is a full transcript of everything it says. Now that may not appear in the place you're getting your podcast from, because there's many platforms who host these podcasts, but don't they don't all allow full access to all the sort of pages around it. But if you visit us on the podcast hosting site, which is the Bible Project at buzzsprout.com, it's there you'll find links to all those additional free resources. And it's there also you'll find ways in which you can connect with this ministry on a more meaningful level. There's LinkedIn where I tend to post more structured, formal sort of Bible teaching types things, but there's also places like the socials and there's even Patreon where you can support and partner with this ministry. And that's a place where I also place some bonus uh, material just as a thank you for those who are enabling this ministry to remain free for the vast majority of us. So thanks to them, but more importantly, thanks to you for being here today. And I do hope I'll see you back here tomorrow on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.